0: All right. Now, we're on communicable attributes of God, kind of going a little bit at a time. And, uh, uh uh-oh, last week was uh, invisibility knowledge, and we didn't get to wisdom. So I'm talking about God's wisdom today and truthfulness and faithfulness. I think that's all the farther we'll get. Next week, we'll be out of town. So Gil Kroll, who used to be the missions pastor here at Scottsdale Bible Church, will be talking about the Da Vinci Code. Wait a minute, you say? Daryl's talking about the Da Vinci Code this morning. I know. You'll get a double dose. But uh, there's so much there, and you know, people might wonder, why are we doing this? But it is so big in the culture, but this is on the New York Times bestseller list for what, a couple of years, something like that? And people are reading this, and um, I, you know, my first reaction was, oh, why is all this garbage out there that's just junk science and pseudo-scholarship, and is trying to debunk the Bible and say that the Bible is not, the, it's not really what happened, and You don't really know about what happened to Jesus, and here's the secret information. But you know what? I think the Lord is using that. Every church I know of and every ministry I know of seems to be doing something about this time as this movie's coming out. And the result of all these responses is, I think that we as Christians will end up saying, you know what? Really smart people can write books attacking the Bible. That doesn't bother us, because when we do our homework and check out the facts, We have greater confidence in the Bible, ultimately, and I think we went through the truthfulness and inerrancy of the Bible in this class a number of weeks ago, but I think this is a way to kind of reaffirm that. So it won't hurt. You will not have, um, there's nobody in this class, I'll say it again, this way, everybody in this class will have neighbors or friends or relatives who are going to see the Da Vinci Code movie during this month sometime. And so just to be aware of that and say, hey, you know, my pastor already talked about it or we talked about it in the class, I think that's a good thing. So that'll be next week. And then uh, May 21st, it's 90% sure Ronald Macaulay is going to be here. He's the head of the, he was Labrie Fellowship Director in England, and uh, now he's head of this Cambridge Christian Heritage. He talked uh, a year ago about, um, about uh, the intellectual history of the Western world and how Christianity reflects that. I will be here. If he's not here, I will teach. Um, but I, because, because I just didn't confirm last night the uh, arrangements, but I think that's the plan for him to be here. And then we'll go on with more of God's attributes. May 28th and all of June, uh, I plan to be here. So some of you are taking off, but I plan to be here anyway. Okay, so uh, we talked last week about God's invisibility. It means that God's total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us. Yet God still shows himself to us through visible, created things. We talked about that. No one can see God in his total essence, but he shows manifestations of himself at various times through history. And we talked about looking forward to the beatific vision, the time when we will see God face to face in the age to come. And then uh, we talked about God's knowledge last week. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Um, Infinite knowledge far beyond anything that we can comprehend. Now we go on this week to wisdom, what is wisdom? God's wisdom. Definition, God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. So in his wisdom, he chooses what is, what is wise, what is best, what is going to accomplish his purpose, and then he chooses the best means to get there. To the only wise God, Paul says in Romans sixteen twenty seven: to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Does that mean that we're not wise at all? The only God is wise? I think it means, by contrast, only God has wisdom of an infinite sort. Only God has the wisdom that uh, is so far beyond our wisdom that Paul can call him the only wise God. Job twelve thirteen. with God our wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. So um, many places in the Bible talk about God's wisdom. Now, um, we can see that in various aspects of life. We can see God's wisdom in the creation. Psalm 104:24, 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. This encourages us to look for evidences of God's wisdom in creation, and this has led to many scientific discoveries. And we go through the history of science, and many famous scientists, from, including Sir Isaac Newton, um, pursued the study of science with the idea that God had made things in a reasonable and wise way. And so I'm going to try to investigate it to discover what God has already made. i um I don't know if it ever happens where you're kind of outside at night and a little bug flies down and lands on the table or lands on your newspaper or your book. Did it ever amaze you that that thing actually works that bug that it can move around and fly? It's so tiny how could you could you ever make something like that? <laughs> Probably not, and it has i don't know billions or trillions of cells. Inside it, all working just like the cells in our bodies work and working in what appears to be an intelligent way. These cells, little factories that change the chemicals around and produce different substances and let this thing fly. There's wisdom in that little bug, just that, that God made it that way. It's, it's amazing. I suppose there should be something in us that says, wow, God, how did you do that? <laughs> just a little tiny thing. And It works. Um, And then I was thinking about uh, sand. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about sand once before here, but you know, um, inside these little computers that we have, like this cell phone of mine now that has that's kind of has all this information on it, inside this And I have what on this little on this little thing I've got English Standard Version Bible, which is of course the one I use most of the time, and I've got an NIV and a King James version, and I think I've got a New King James and a New American Standard, and then a Hebrew Bible and a Hebrew dictionary, and a Greek Bible and a Greek dictionary, um, and a few other things. What powers all this? It's a little silicon chip. And silicon is sand. Now just bear with me a minute. We went to the Intel Museum in Santa Clara, California. And they have a place where you can test conductivity of things. And you put these two electric probes on a piece of copper. And the needle goes right over to 100. Copper is a conductor of electricity. And then you move the probes over and you put it on wood. And the needle stays at zero because wood is an insulator. It doesn't conduct electricity at all. And then they say, now try silicon. And so you put it on silicon, and the needle goes right up to 50 and stays there. Silicon is neither a conductor nor an insulator of electricity. And so when people discovered that, all of a sudden scientists figured out, you know what, you can take a little tiny piece of silicon and etch it so that the etchings either let the electricity go through or stop the electricity. And so you get a switch turned on and off. And that's the heart of what makes computers work. How many of you have worked in or been associated with computer industry? Some way, information. See, oh, 20 of you around, 30 of you around. Okay. So now, scientists discover that, finally, in the I don't know when they discovered that, in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, I don't know, the silicon, to make these chips. And so I think there ought to be in our hearts something that says, God, thank you for making sand this way so that it can be the perfect thing to be the brains in a computer. And then I can imagine God saying, yes, of course, what took you so long to figure it out? <laughs> uh, in fact, I've got a lot of sand out there to make things out of, very interesting. Or plastic, I don't know, how many has, anybody have anything plastic? I see sunglasses, I see my cookie. everything plastic. That's made out of petroleum. I think a scientist should say, oh God, thank you for making petroleum in such a way that we can make plastic and have, you know, plastic bottles for water and things like that, everything. And and again, I think God's saying, yeah, I, I just, I put it there, waiting for you to figure it out. I made it in wisdom. I made sand in wisdom. I made petroleum in wisdom. I made bugs in wisdom. And I don't know if you've read these stories, but there are 56 or something like that, different factors in terms of light and heat and gravity and all this, that if they weren't all right for the earth, life couldn't exist on the earth, amount of water and the atmosphere, and God made it all in wisdom. Every place we look around in the creation, we should be saying, thank you, God, for all this wisdom. Isn't that amazing? Cotton that doesn't scratch, not itchy. God says, Oh yes, I'm glad you discovered that. A long time ago, I put it there for you to discover. So he made the earth in wisdom. And that means that everything that is kind of gives the basis for Christians being involved in scientific discovery, searching out the wisdom of God and finding out how wonderful is the world he has made. I think there are thousands upon thousands of more discoveries to be made about simple things like sand and petroleum that can make wonderful things for us that we haven't even discovered yet. It's just the the um, the uh, the wise way that God has made the world. So every place we look, we should see his wisdom and be thankful for it. And then in the church, Ephesians 3.10, Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, in that context, in Ephesians 3, I didn't put the whole passage up there, but if you look at Ephesians 3.1-10, all, or back even starting with verse, or chapter 2 and then on to chapter 3, Paul is talking about the way God has surprised everybody because the Jewish people and the Gentiles thought they were just supposed to be separate. And the Jewish people thought they were the only ones that were God's special chosen people, and God surprised everybody by bringing Norwegians and Germans and... <laughs> and um and Frenchmen and uh and Kenyans and Ethiopians and uh people from China and Japan and people from Latin America and all the, all these Gentiles into the church, some of you come from a Jewish background, most of us, I'd say come from a Gentile background. And Paul says when Paul preaches the gospel and the Jews and Gentiles together come into the church and they get along with each other contrary to the pattern of the world where ethnic groups fight against each other and try to destroy each other. When people from all national ethnic backgrounds come into the church and get along together, then Paul says the manifold wisdom, manifold wisdom of God is made known. Manifold, that Greek word poikilos means having many facets, many aspects. Very diverse and intricate. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known in the church when Paul preaches. So when I look around at you, I see different people, different backgrounds, different national and ethnic backgrounds, different personalities, different interests. And yet we can all get along in the church and go to tubac together. (laughs) And enjoy it and have home fellowship groups and manna for eight and enjoy getting to know each other why because god's purpose is to make different people get along and so he's got the manifold or many faceted wisdom that he designed working in the church and the church should be when it's working right the church should be a manifestation of all sorts of different people from different backgrounds and all walks of life and all nations getting along together Astounding the world because it's what the world doesn't do. In the world, people separate just into people that are like themselves. And then Paul says that the manifold wisdom of God in the church is now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I think this means spiritual rulers and authorities, both angels and demons. They are amazed to see that God has surprised everybody and brought together different people in the church. So If you look around right now and you see different kinds of people that you wouldn't have gotten to know other than coming to the Scottsdale Bible Church, you're seeing something to give thanks to God for, for his wisdom, that that we're different and yet God brings us together. So I think we should look for evidence of God's wisdom in the church and wisdom in terms of giving people different gifts and different abilities and different interests so that we can minister to each other and have different functions in the church. And then there's God's wisdom as well, and that shows that we need each other. We help each other. Okay, so we look for that. In our individual lives, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I thought I would ask, as you look back over months or years, do you see God's wisdom at work in your life? Hmm. Think back to grade school. Any things that happened in grade school that you can think of that you didn't know at the time, but they resulted in good for your life? Hmm? Bob and Nadine, you're going like this. What are you thinking of? I was uh, thinking thinking about, I love art. I love art. And when I was in the fourth grade, yeah. I entered an art contest yeah. and I won. <laughs> yeah, and that was a great encouragement to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, and God's hand was in that a long yes. time ago. and You he didn't was. even know, but it was a I, life-changing. That's right. yeah. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Aloha. Um, bye. I uh, I remember in grade school so well. That I had such a difficulty learning to uh, pronounce words and read. Oh, wow. And uh, teachers, uh, uh, I think I'm a little bit ADD, but at any rate, uh, I uh, finally learned and I was so proud, and now I'm a good reader. And wow. uh, at one time it was just, and yeah. I thought, how wonderful. Yeah. Good. The extra effort resulted in more, more ability, right. really. Yeah. Good. Anybody else? Think back at something, grade school, long time ago. Grade school, maybe high school. Something God's wisdom. Anybody else? You can kind of think. Oh, you know, I didn't know it at the time. In fact, it might have been hard at the time, but God was in that, working in that for good. Carol, are you thinking about something? Standing in the club room in third grade because I. Okay, let's. Let, we need all to hear about this. <laughs> Can you give Carol the microphone there? It's not something I'm proud of, but I can remember standing in the cloakroom in third grade because I had misbehaved, Yeah. if anyone remembers cloakrooms. And what was the good that came out of that? Discipline. Yeah, discipline. Yeah, good. Okay. Can you hand the microphone right back to Noni behind you? Uh, here's another thing I'm not very proud of. Uh, it was probably second or third grade. Um, I had a little friend that taught me a clever way to stick candy up my sleeve. <laughs> in this little country country school that I went to, there was a store across the street. And um, fortunately for me and for my friend, we were hauled over to the principal's office. And I remember laying, there was a bed in the principal's office back in those days. <laughs> I remember laying on the bed saying, I'll never do it again, I'll never do it again. And he was very gracious, and he said something that has stayed with me. Noni, that is just not like you. Yeah. And I, trust me, I have not stolen anything since. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Okay, well we could probably do a number of others, but if, I just, I think it's good for us to go look back at our lives and reflect maybe career decisions or directions that you didn't do, Maybe a a job that you were hoping for and you didn't get, and then it turned out for better. Maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you didn't marry, and that turned out for good. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I can think of one or two or three. Anyway, um, and I see God's wisdom that my parents decided to move to Eau Claire, Wisconsin when I was 13. So I could meet Margaret Grudem, who was 12. And we've been married for 36 years now. Isn't that amazing? Kind of God directing, and we didn't know at that time. So if you look back over months, years, you see God's wisdom. Now, here's another thing. Those are fun ones that we talk about. But I think as I talk about this, um, probably for some of you, there are some hard memories too. And I think that this assurance of God's wisdom in our lives is a comfort to us in difficult times, when hard things happen. And hard things do happen, and they happen to all of us in this life, and, and that we're not going to be freed from that um, until, we go to be, until we go to heaven. And there, it's a question. Will we believe that God's word is true, where he says, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose? And there are times like that, and some of you know there have been some difficulties um, with, with the loss of our daughter-in-law in the last year, for instance, that we, we do not in this lifetime understand. And it's there where we just choose to take God at his word and believe that he will bring good out of that, and he has a wise plan that we don't, yet now, uh, we don't now understand. Um, but uh, trusting God's wisdom... When times are hard, I think is a great, great encouragement to us, and something that should set us apart as Christians and say, well, God has purpose that we don't understand yet, but he is wise, and he works all things together for good. Um, I was going to mention one other thing, and that is national and world events, um, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he sent us out to make disciples of all nations. But I do believe that Jesus is still on the throne and he is directing the history of the world and the history of our nation to bring about the results that he wants. And ultimately, he is building his church. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. His purposes will stand His plans will be accomplished. There isn't any doubt about the way history is going to end. It's going in the right direction. I think sometimes with a nuclear weapons threat in Iran, with we don't know what the intentions are for Russia or China anymore, uh, on in the future, um, there are a lot of things that we could be worried about, energy prices going up and then I think we should say, you know what, and and a and lot of rise of evil in our culture, in our society, but God has his purposes, he's going to bring them about, and I think yet in our lifetimes, we will see much more of the wisdom of God manifested even in the history of the nation and the world. So, God's wisdom. Now, application. When I go through these attributes of God, I want to say, well, are there ways that we can imitate these things? Because Ephesians 5.1 says we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. And so, just like little kids like to be like their parents when they're growing up, and they imitate, so we are to be like our Heavenly Father. And here, God has made us in such a way that we can imitate His wisdom in some ways. We'll never be infinitely wise like God is. I don't think any of us will ever, ever... able to make a little a fruit fly or a cricket or anything like that that works, especially out of nothing. I'm sure we won't be able to do that. But um, but we can do some things. and We have an imitation of God's wisdom, and we can ask God for more wisdom. James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Time and again, in ordinary affairs of life, I come to the point where I think, I can't figure out what to do here. If I do this, it's a bad result. If I do this, it's a bad result. I can't figure it out. And then I say, oh, I kind of rebuke myself and say, Wayne, how foolish. God has a good solution to this. Lord, will you please figure this out? Help me figure this out. I can't, you know, where you've got a conflict, you're trying to do two different things at the same time, and there's no solution. Or you're trying to please two different people who are asking you to do different things at the same time. And there's not a good solution. You say, Lord, well, wait a minute. You have a good solution to this. There is a right answer. There is a right thing to do in all these. And so, Lord, according to your promise, I ask you for wisdom to figure out these concerns of life. So with all of us, if there are relationship things that you can't figure out, or family or extended family, relative conflicts, or financial or job conflicts, or something that you can't figure out, I think the place to start is right here. Say, God, I can't figure this out. Please give me wisdom. Please help me know what to do. I believe that there is a right thing to do. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I think this means if we want wisdom in life, we want to know how to live a life pleasing to God, we start out, step one is saying, Lord, I, I fear stepping outside your will. I fear doing something that displeases you. I don't want to do that. I want to be where you are, where you are guiding me, where you are leading me. And once you start that way, then you're saying, I'm going to live a life that is obedient to God and that is reflective of his wisdom. So God wants us to act wisely, and this honors him. It shows forth his character. He wants us to gain wisdom. And it pleases him, so we can, I think, ask him for wisdom. Any questions or comments on that? Uh, we just we grow in wisdom. As, as, God, uh, as God helps us. So, now, can we see wisdom reflected? Yes, I think any human activity that requires skill and planning is a form of manifesting God's wisdom. Sports. I think, well, well I was going to use a football analogy, but I have to use a basketball analogy from last <laughs> night, don't I? So, uh, there's wisdom. On the part of the coaches, on the part of the players to figure out how they can beat some of the best players in the world by being just a tiny bit better. In fact, last night a whole lot better than uh, some of the other best players in the world. And I think when we watch that, we can even if we're watching non-Christians play, we can say, Lord, you created human beings. They're such amazing people that they can do these athletic events. And I think that's part of why we enjoy it. I think that in a deep background sense, Probably God made us enjoy watching sports because it's a demonstration of how excellent the creatures are that God has made that can play basketball that well, or football, or baseball. And Diamondbacks won seven in a row now last night, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, I'd say there's a little bit of, we enjoy that because... Human beings are more like God than, anybody, than anything in the universe, and these human beings are doing a really good job, at, at, a skillful job, at figuring out how to play baseball. It's a game, but I think that the, what's, what's enjoyable about a game is the demonstration of excellence in some human activity. And, uh, and, in, and, in, and competing against others lets you measure how excellent it is, and we see wisdom demonstrated. I think that happens in music and art, uh, when people are creative and they show wisdom, again, this is far superior to anything that can be done in the animal kingdom. Some of you have musical, ab- or Nadine, you just mentioned your artistic ability. That's a manifestation of God's wisdom. You can't create the the, uh, the Rocky Mountains or the Alps, and, and you can't create um, you know a flower flowers out of nothing. But you can plant flowers and grow them and make it artistic, or you can paint them, or other kinds. So there's a manifestation of God's wisdom. We enjoy creativity because God likes us to show off for him. I hope you don't mind the word show off. To, to show off for him, Lord, look, look at how good you've made me that I can create this. There's something of that in it. Um, construction. Uh, any of the, remodeling a room, or building an addition on a house, or any of the trades, masonry, doing electrical wiring, doing plumbing, doing carpentry, doing sheet metal, any of those kinds of things, there's a huge amount of skill and an acquisition of wisdom. See, it's wisdom on how to use the creation that's involved in that. And, and a few people are very good at it. And I think there's a great joy that comes from building things and, and having them turn out right. Now, John, you do that. And you enjoy it when it's done, and it looks good. Yeah. So we had, when we moved into our house, we had a carpenter come, and there was a, a little den that he made into a bedroom. And it was just a shelving area, he turned it into a closet. There was an archway. He put a door there. And you couldn't even tell that it wasn't a, wasn't a bedroom from the beginning. I mean, how he did that, I don't know. But it just it looks like the rest of the house. He has, he has a, a, a trade wisdom that's really excellent. Rose? Yeah, go ahead. Um, we do fix and flip. That's somehow, it's not on. Maybe, put it closer to your mouth. Oh, well. Technical breakdown. <laughs> you do a, a fix a house and, and turn it over and in three months you see the result and there's an enjoyment, in it, a skill in it, yeah. One of the things where you see the fruit of labor. Yeah, okay, short time, fruit of the labor, okay, good. So I think, any of culinary skills which I enjoy the benefits of. (laughs) Because my wife's a great cook. So, um, but she's creative. And we we could take the same ingredients and give us both a half hour. (laughs) At the end, it would be disaster. Whatever I made, it wouldn't taste right. Margaret can make it taste good. I don't know how she does it. But there's wisdom in the use of ingredients that God has put in the earth for us to use and to use wisely. Scientific inventions all do that. They're just incredible wisdom. How people made this little thing that I can click on this and it (laughs) It makes the projector go, that's wisdom. Somebody who's really had a lot of God's wisdom to be able to design that and make it work. And uh, there's wisdom in terms of people management. If you've been chaired a committee or you've organized a home fellowship group or you've organized dinner at your house or you've brought up kids, or you're just helping people and giving wise counsel, there's a manifestation of God's wisdom. Well, so our whole life has rich and abundant manifestations of God's wisdom, and I think we can rejoice in that. Now, night before last, I drove north on the 51, so I'm driving north on the 51, and have you seen that interchange where it goes into the 101 going east? It was about 9.30 at night. And I don't know why I did this, but I was just—I started to thank God for the beauty of that road, the the uh, just the, the lines and the way the curve of it is so smooth and it's uh, it's so easy to drive on and the lighting is right and all of a sudden all these cars are flowing into you know into this, these lanes and they're not running into each other, and I don't know about you, but that interchange and the interchange where the I-10 intersects the 101, where all these roadways are going over each other, I say. Lord, that's beautiful. Thank you for giving human beings the ability to design that beauty in the road system. It's amazing. So anyway, look around. Your eyes are open. I think you can see manifestations of God's wisdom working through human beings. Okay, anything else on wisdom? He made us to reflect his character, and so we do it in many ways. We see it in many ways. Let's try to do one more today. Truthfulness. Definition. God's truthfulness means that he is the true God, and he... I'm gonna stop. and go back on wisdom. Here's another way to think of that. Every way in which this world is interesting and beautiful, as a, as opposed to just boring gray rocks, which could have been a creation, but it doesn't. It isn't anything. Now it, there's all this stuff that works. So that, Gunther? I need to disagree. Okay. Some of us just what you just said. Yep. Some of Okay, you get to say it into the microphone here, Gunther, Here we go. Some of us just are able to appreciate these things. The sand and rocks. You know, yeah, it's you drive through the desert, which yeah. most people describe as bland. All right. And it's just amazing. Yeah, there's how, a beauty there, how there too. Beauty okay. It, beautiful. All right, all right. But how about this? If there wasn't any color at all in the world ever, but, it was all just black and white and gray. It'd be pretty. Yeah. There's, yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right, truthfulness. God's truthfulness means that he is the true God. That's one part of it. And that all his knowledge and words are both true and the final standard of truth. That is, everything that God thinks is true, and everything that he says is true, and these are the final standard of truth. First, he's the true God. The Lord is the true God. He's the living God and the everlasting king. So, uh, as opposed to the false gods who did not make the heavens and the earth. And this is, the eternal life. this is the eternal life, said Jesus, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So he is the one true God, as opposed to all the false gods of the nations around Israel or false gods in the world today. Then, God's knowledge and words are true and are the final standard of truth. In the book of Job, we read uh, of him who is perfect in knowledge, so that is, everything that God thinks about the world is truthful. He knows the properties of all the things he has created, and he knows them accurately. And then his words are true. Titus 1, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. began. This is uh, a, an attribute of God, uh, the unlying God, more literally from the Greek text, absustes, the non-lying God, the one who is not false, but is truthful. He never lies. Or Hebrews 6.18 talks about two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So he can't speak lies. He can't speak untruthfully. That's his character is to be truthful. And so every word, every word of God proves true is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And as far as we are concerned then, that means that um, what God asks us to do is to believe the words that he has spoken. He is truthful, and he doesn't have any wrong ideas. He doesn't have any mistakes in his thoughts, so when he speaks, he speaks accurately and truthfully. God's knowledge and words are true and the final standard of truth. That is, Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Not just your word is true, which is an adjective, but in Greek, it's your word is truth. Jesus uses a noun, to say that God's Word is truth. This means that we should test all other claims to truth by the standard of God's Word. Um, I think that's true in every area of life, that all of the other academic disciplines in the world have to be measured by the standard of truthfulness of God's Word. I'm going to go, um, I'm scheduled to go anyway, to uh, Biola University the first week of June and spend a week in a just kind of, roundtable conversation and seminar with 16 selected faculty members from different disciplines in the university, talking about how the truthfulness of the Bible relates to all these different academic subjects, whether, I suppose, I I haven't looked at the list, but uh, um, what are some academic subjects? Uh, Chemistry, or drama, or English literature, or sociology, or history, or um, psychology, or biology, or Um, I don't know, yeah, science. Yeah, I just read a manuscript from a a Harvard PhD in mathematics talking about the wisdom of God in mathematics and how that relates to the truthfulness of God in the Bible, and it was amazing. Um, So uh, all of those, what happens in the academic disciplines is when they leave God out and they go astray from God and they don't test their knowledge by God's word, then knowledge becomes fragmented and they begin to uh, teach error, I think. So we test other claims to truth by the standard of God's word. That was why, when um, Bob, uh, when um, Mike Mobley did this talk about six, seven weeks ago, about a physicist's view of time, and uh, how I, you know, it was so it was uh, beyond most of us to understand, in Einstein's uh, uh, theory of relativity, and Mike Mike's proposed revision to Einstein's theory of relativity. But he, but it made me think that at every level of academic discipline, you can pursue it to the highest level of academic achievement, and you find that what God's Word says about time is truthful. Why? Because God created time, and he knows what it's like, and then he speaks truthfully about it. So we test other claims to truth by the standard of God's Word. <clears throat> and in a way, that's being challenged by the Da Vinci Code and the Judas Gospel and this... this <laughs> this guy in Florida who had the brilliant idea that Jesus must have been walking on ice instead of walking on water. Yeah, thanks. I'm sure that was what happened. <laughs> I mean, it's people again and again are saying that God's word is not truthful, but their theories fall away, and a couple years from now you don't hear from them. They're all forgotten, but God's word stands, so it's truthful. What do we do? We talked about imitating God's wisdom. Now, do we imitate God's truthfulness? Yes, he made us to be like himself. He made us to reflect his character in our lives so we can imitate God's truthfulness by striving to have true knowledge about God and about his world and by being truthful in our speech. So first, we strive to have true knowledge. Paul says in Colossians 3, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What he's saying here is, when we learn things that are truthful, we get re- or we correct wrong ideas, we're renewed in knowledge. After the image of its creator, what that means is that if I had false thoughts and then I learned true things, my knowledge began, I started to think the same thoughts that God is thinking and i want to think the same thoughts that god is thinking so so for years here's one example for years people thought that the sun went around the earth cuz they just kind of looked at it and you know kind of think every day it's kind of going around and and it took a long time with the, the works of uh, copernicus and galileo and their astronomical observations to figure out that the earth was rotating the sun wasn't going around the earth now God knew that all along. He made it. So that when people started to think about astronomy the right way, they had more of God's thoughts in their brain. And that's pleasing to him. He wants us to think rightly about the universe that he has made. He wants us to think truthfully about it. And so that's why we enjoy learning things. That's why... Um, it's just just fun to, to go to a class or to read a book and to learn new things that are truthful because God already knew those things and we're getting more of his thoughts in our brain. Okay? And that's why he wants us to think truthfully. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Just as wisdom is a good thing to have, so knowledge is a good thing to have. We can imitate that. So for all our lives, gaining knowledge is a useful thing. It's a good thing, especially if we do it in a way that's useful knowledge. And then we should speak truthfully. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's right there in the Ten Commandments. Ephesians 4.25, having put away falsehood, let every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So, There's a lot in the Bible about speaking truthfully. I think this is why we should never lie. By lying, I mean we should never say X is true when X is false. We should imitate God who never lies. He is the God of truth. It's impossible. He can't lie. It's contrary to his character because he's a truthful God. So there should be in us a growing um, habit and conviction that we don't speak falsehood. And there is an area where the Bible challenges our society so much. It's just common in our society for people to lie about things, lie about products they're trying to sell, lie about their recollection of business agreements, lie about what they said or did or didn't do. And um, it's, just, um, it's just kind of an accepted thing, but it's not right. It's contrary to the standards of Scripture. So I think we should never lie. Now, when we talked about ethics here a long time ago, I talked about some other complexities. I talked about it's right to be silent at times. You don't have to say everything you know. Um, And there are some other complexities of that. But on the the very basic level, I don't think we should ever uh, even tell a white lie. I'll I'll tell a lie for a good purpose. God doesn't do that. He speaks truthfully. Paul says we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God Paul's way to pre- preach the gospel was by the open statement of the truth not some secret hidden thing that he didn't want other people to know about We just say hey i'm going to lay it out here here's the truth and you know when we're talking about non talking to non-Christians about what the bible says i don't like to beat around the bush and uh, just try to obscure some of the things I wouldn't think they would like in the Bible. Just say, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what I think the Bible teaches. And um, that's up to the Holy Spirit to persuade them, whether they agree with it or not. Do we imitate God's truthfulness in whatever we say? Are our words trustworthy? And I think in our truthful speech, Christians should be far different from the general culture today. So I just, I just, let me see, yeah. that. Um, oh, yes, similar, related to that, God's faithfulness. I'll just, I'll just mention this. It means that he will always do what he has promised, what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. God is not a man that he should lie. As he said, will he not do it? He, he will do it. He's a God of faithfulness. And in faithfulness, it's related to truthfulness. When God says he'll do something, <clears throat> then, <clears throat> then he fulfills that commitment. Excuse me. To imitate God's faithfulness. Similarly, we should always do what we say and fulfill what we have promised. And the question is, are you faithful to your commitments? You keep your promises. Hmm. Well, I was just reading in a book that I wrote <laughs> a footnote that said, if you go to this website, I will post these Greek texts. And quotations on this website. And I looked yesterday and I had forgotten to do that. So last night I had to send this email to the office where this can be done, saying, could you please scan in these pages and post these on the website? Because it just got forgotten about. And I wasn't I would said I would do something and I wasn't I don't know if anybody ever looked. It was really kind of an obscure footnote. <laughs> but but I should do it because it was there. Okay? Rather than saying, oh, maybe nobody will ever check it. If we've said we'll do something, we should either get ourselves out of the commitment by talking to the person and I'm sorry, I can't do it, or we should fulfill what we've promised. Are we truthful? Do we exaggerate sometimes stories of what has happened? Do we say we'll pray for someone and then not? Or say we did pray for them when we didn't? Are we faithful in our business commitments when we agree to do something, to pay something, that we do it? To sell something for a certain price? Then we fulfill that, even if circumstances change. That is, I think we should be truthful and faithful in our speech and reflect God's truthfulness and faithfulness. Okay. Now. Just... A few minutes ago, I looked in the back of the room and saw Diane Hakala back there, back from Indonesia on the missions trip, and I didn't figure out, and I think Bob didn't figure out, to ask you to say something about that, Diane. What's that? In two weeks. In two weeks, you can do that. It's all settled. Okay, good. Two weeks, you give us the report. I'll, get, I'll give her about five minutes to do okay, that. Okay, good. That's good. Okay. So it's all arranged. I just... I'm looking around and seeing that everybody's just everything's okay with the class. Any last thing? We've got to get out of here because this is our first our early morning. So I'm not going to do a I'm not going to do a song. Anything else? Last comment on truthfulness. Okay, let's uh, let's pray. Oh Lord God, you are you are infinite in knowledge, beyond our understanding. And you are infinite in your wisdom. In wisdom you have made the world and the universe, Lord, so that it works in an amazing way. And you've made us so that our our minds and bodies function. And you've put us in the church and you've orchestrated events of our lives in a wise way. And you are working out your wise plans for the world and for the church. And you will build your church. Your plans will not fail. Lord, we give you thanks for your wisdom. And then we give you thanks for your truthfulness. And Lord, in the midst of a world that mocks truthfulness, a world that is so much influenced by Satan, who is the father of lies, Lord, give us a heart that loves truth and that speaks truth, and that delights in truth. Lord, I pray that if there are ever times when we are tempted to speak falsely, that you would convict our hearts so that we would be people who are known as people who speak truth, people whose word is reliable and trustworthy and true. So fill our hearts and our speech with your wisdom, with your truthfulness, and with thankfulness to you for the excellence of all that you are and all that you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.